Welcome to the Central Community Church Podcast. We exist to be authentic followers of Jesus, leading others to follow Him by loving God, loving people, and serving our world. Well, good morning, Central. Good to see all of you. And thanks, Pastor Chris, for giving us that update on, uh, on Summer Kids Camp. You know, one of the things that uh, is, has been really successful in uh, a community like Lake Arock has actually been Summer Kids Camp. And uh, they've done that um, for years. And in fact, last year, they saw kids come to Christ there as well. And so uh, I say that to kind of let you know about the outcome of our vision night that happened last Sunday evening. Regrettably, I was not there in body. Um, I was away on holiday. But uh, I was there in spirit, and as you were meeting, I was praying, and uh, I was just so pleased to hear when I had access to my phone that uh, there was excellent attendance, there was overwhelming support for the vision that is being cast to, uh, to launch a couple of new campuses this coming year. And, uh, and so we're, we're moving ahead. These are exciting times, and a call to you as we do this is um, to give above and beyond, and that doesn't mean just financially, that's part of it, I want to talk to you about that, but it means giving above and beyond of your prayers, giving above and beyond of your moral support, and we'll, I'll, I'm going to address that a little bit in my, in my message this morning, uh, your, your spiritual and your moral support and also your financial support. You're going to hear uh, next Sunday a little bit more about a campaign we're going to go. You've, you will have gotten information about that last Sunday as well. But uh, it's going to take a few hundred thousand dollars to really get this off the ground over the next year and a half. And so my, uh, my challenge to you this week is to take that number, 200,000, and uh, divide it by the number of people who attend this church. So you've got to do a little homework to find out how many that is. And then divide that by 18 months and see what the amount comes to. It's actually not that overwhelming at all. It amounts to a meal or a few coffees that some of us could give up every month in order to see this vision accomplished. Really, it's, uh, it's very doable. I'm excited. I'm excited. But you know what? This kind of vision is going to require far more than our money. In fact, money, it's the easy part, really. So appreciated what Christine said this morning, and I... Just unbelievably uncanny how God works and moves and speaks to people because I want to share exactly what she was saying about very personally this morning. Money's the easy part. It's easy if and when we focus where our focus needs to be, the outflow of our lives in relationship with Jesus. You see, everything, everything flows out of what our text this morning from the Gospel of John instructs us to do, and that is to love everything. So before God moves in our hearts to give, to pray, or to go, this is a missional vision that we have. Some will be asked to literally go to Promontory, to go to Lake Arock, to be involved in mission. We have to allow him first to speak to us and move in our hearts to love, because it was love that motivated him to give to us. It was love that motivated Jesus to leave and to go and it will be love that will motivate us to give, to go, to pray for him. So a little bit more on that later. So this morning, based on the two greatest commandments 
of, in all of Scripture, which are, number one, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, and secondly, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Let's read our text from the next section of the Gospel of John. We're in John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. Jesus said this, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant, the slave, literally does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Let's take a moment to pray and then let's get into this text. Oh, Father, this is a big task that I've been given this morning from your word. And so I am trusting you completely to move in our hearts by your spirit to apply this word that we've just read, your word. So God, would you speak to us this morning? Uh, impress in our hearts, our minds, and in our actions what it is you would have us do individually and corporately because we have spent time with you today. I ask it in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. So if you hadn't noticed, when I read the text, the word love appears nine times in nine verses. <laughs> that kind of repetition is extremely rare in Scripture, and therefore it is extremely significant. I think it's because to love, to truly love, is so, so difficult. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> Do any of you find it difficult to love, or is it just me? <laughs> um, the sobering and, and, and humbling reality of preaching or, or being a teacher is that becoming, it, is, it is becoming of us as preachers, as teachers in the church, to live the text before teaching it. And that's why God's word says that not many should presume to become teachers because those who are will be judged more strictly. I, I tremble at that thought. Well, lo and behold, I received, shall you say, um, an excellent opportunity to live this text just last week while uh, we were in holiday in, in San Diego uh, when speaking some truth to and about another member of the family. You see, there was 11 of us that went on this trip. And whenever there are 11 people, all of the same family, that are trying to do things together for a week, some sparks are sure to fly. And they did, twice. Uh, one of them involving me. And I did not speak the truth with any resemblance of love, nor with any intention of loving correction. I spoke harshly in anger and frustration. It was embarrassing. 
Certainly then, and it is in, in, embarrassing to me now as I tell it, <clears throat> the words and my behavior were fitting of an apology, which I did. Uh, some apology then, especially to the one that I hurt directly, and some even this morning to those who witnessed it. And so what Christine said when she was leading worship was God moving in her heart to move in my heart. And, and I could not, in all good conscience, stand before all of you this morning and preach this text about love with that hanging over me. Of all the weeks to preach this text, it had to be today. <laughs> oh, the love of God. How rich and pure. Jesus knows that it is so difficult to love, especially when our buttons are pushed to the point where you just snap. And so he, he modeled difficult love when he loved me. He, he modeled it when he loved you. He modeled it when he loved the world. All of us quite undeserving of his love. But you see, here's the thing. God also loves fruit. <laughs> That's the goal. He, he's chosen and appointed us to bear fruit. And that is what our text says this morning. I suppose that's why God created a garden as a home for his first creatures. Fruit was a sign, is a sign of abundance. Fruit is the evidence of health, that a living organism has been properly tended to and cared for. It's been, it's been weeded, it's been fertilized, it's been watered, it's been pruned, so that it can yield a harvest. You see, God's people, that's you, that's me, that's the church. We together are a, a living organism. God, there are many metaphors in Scripture about the people of God, the church. One is a body, that's living. But we're also called a field, 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, Paul, or Jesus, refers to his people as a vineyard. That's, that's living. We are designed for abundance, to yield much fruit, as we, the branches, abide in him. God wants us to be healthy. He wants us to multiply. He wants us to plant new churches. He wants us to reach the Fraser Valley and beyond with the good news of Jesus Christ. But the first fruit that he wants to grow and evidence in our lives is love. Love is the evidence. It is the, the key indicator that Jesus is in us and that we are abiding in him or as Pastor Ron put it last week when he preached that we don't just profess Jesus, but that we possess him and that he possesses us, that he is in us. According to Galatians 5, if you're familiar with that chapter, what is the first fruit or the first evidence that the Spirit of God, that Jesus Christ actually lives in us? Do you know what it is? Love. Then joy. <laughs> it's in our text this morning too. We're going to come back to that. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So here's the basic flow of our text this morning, which will become the outline that we're going to follow this morning. It's really basic. I'm going to keep it simple as we go through. As the Father has loved me, said Jesus, that's the first thing, so I have loved you. It's the second thing. And the third is, love one another. So this morning we're going to talk about love, love, 
love. God sang the song long before the Beatles in 1967. Or the Monsters of Monsters and Men in 2011. They have a song by that title as well. We're going to talk about the love of the Father, the love of Jesus, and the love of Jesus' disciples. First of all, the love of the Father. Before we can talk about what God's love is, what it looks like, we need to establish something else first, and that is God is love. God is love. Love is not just in his nature. It's not just part of his nature. It is his nature. 1 John 4, verses 4 through 7, the same apostle who wrote another series of letters. He's really got this love thing on his mind. Just talk about repetition. Go to 1 John for a while. 1 John 4, 7 through 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. He is love. Now, God's nature is much broader than that. He's a personal God. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is ever-present. He is sovereign. He is holy. He is absolute truth. He is righteous. He is just. He is merciful. He is faithful. He is eternal. But because he is love... He is, as Josh McDowell puts it wonderfully, he is unconditionally committed to my well-being. Because God is love, he is unconditionally committed to mine and yours, our well-being. We have to believe that. We have to. What happened to me in San Diego and how I responded ultimately was for my well-being that God would prune me and teach me to abide, to love. On our holiday, we, uh, we watched a movie. Um, we watched the movie Jackie. I don't know if you've seen that. It was released about five months ago. After her husband's assassination, Jackie Kennedy's world was completely shattered. Traumatized and reeling with grief, over the course of a week, she had to confront the unimaginable Consoling their two young children, vacating the home that she had, the White House, that she had painstakingly restored, and planning her husband's funeral. The president, Jackie, quickly realized that the next seven days would determine how history would define her husband's legacy and how she herself would be remembered. At one point in the movie, at her brother-in-law, Bobby Kennedy's suggestion, in fact, his strong urging, she went to talk with her priest, who was not as much interested in her story or even in expressing sympathy as he was in sharing God's truth. I, I, I love that segment in the movie. And Jackie actually gets frustrated with her priest, with him, and she says, Father, are you listening? I, I'm listening. Yes, I, I think so. So they go for a walk and she says, I think God is cruel. Well, now you're getting into trouble, says the priest. God is love. And God is everywhere. Was he in the bullet that killed Jack? Absolutely. Is he inside me now? Yes, of course. Of course he is. Well, that's a funny game he plays, hiding all the time. The fact that we don't understand him isn't funny at all, says the priest. 
She says, if there's a heaven, then there's your God with all his empty promises. What kind of God takes a father from his two children? The priest says, the Lord sacrificed his only son and my two babies, Arabella in the womb and Patrick, 39 hours on the earth, just long enough to fall in love with him. What did I do to deserve that? She asks. And the priest just said, nothing. After a bit more conversation, the priest shares the story of a man who had been blind, been born blind, blind from birth, not because he had sinned, but because he had been chosen by God so that the works of God might be revealed in him. It's a very touching segment, very deep. Listen, there are many things about life, especially the traumatic things that you and I all face, we all have them that are hard to understand. Sometimes they're not at all understandable. Circumstances void of answers. Circumstances that make us question the love of God. And like the priest, I don't claim to have the answers. In fact, I usually don't. But one thing I do know, because the Bible tells me so, is that God is love. He is love. And that he is unconditionally committed to my well-being. God is love. And he is unconditionally committed to your well-being. Even in times of trauma and also times of sin, which are separate usually, Sometimes they're linked, sometimes they're not. Whether it be my sin or the sins of others, even when God becomes angry at that sin or at injustice, sometimes bringing me under his discipline, it's because he loves me. Hebrews 12 assures us that the Lord disciplines the one he loves. The Bible doesn't say that God is angry, it just says that he gets angry. There's a difference. Anger is not his nature. Love is. So an action involving the wrath of God is not unloving. That's why scripture tells us to sin not in our anger and to let not the sun go down while we are still angry. There is a righteous anger that is based on the love of God. One of my favorite scriptures, uh, which I also happen to have as the screensaver on my computer so I can see it every day of my life, is uh, Psalm 103 verse 8. Put it on your fridge. Put it on your screensaver. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Don't you love that? It's abounding in steadfast love. I want to continue on actually to verse 14. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. So, God is love. God is love. 
But what is God's love? It's a different question. What does it look like? I want to give us just a few foundational things. I wish we could spend much more time here this morning, but we just don't have it. I, you know, how can, how can one in 40 minutes, 45 minutes, um, even do justice to what the hymn writer wrote, the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. Could we with ink the oceans fill and, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. <laughs> I was just on the ocean. would drain it dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. I can't, I can't even do justice to the love of God and what it looks like this morning, but we can scratch the surface, and, and you're going to need to go deeper on your own. To truly understand God's love, we need to look at how Jesus loved the Apostle John continued in 1 John chapter, chapter 4 thereafter. He wrote that anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. He said this, In this we know, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. That's the key. So most of what God's love is will actually be covered in a point to the love of Jesus because that's how his love was manifest to us. But let's lay a bit more of a foundation. So God is love. Secondly, God, under first point there, God's love is. Just want to look at the word love a little bit. In scripture, there's actually three words, all in the, the Greek language, that are translated love in English. The first one is agape, the second is philos, and the third is eros. Eros is where we get our word erotic from. It's a sexual love. Philos is where is the word friend or friendship. Uh, you know the, the city Philadelphia? So philos is love, and adelphos is brother. So it's the city of brotherly love. So eros and philos are feelings-based loves, uh, really, Friendship is based on the emotional feelings and stimuli that we experience, and sexual love is based on the physical feelings or stimuli that we experience. But the foundation of all love is agape. It is a word not void of emotion, a kind of love not void of emotion, but not based on emotion. Agape is the word that is used all nine times in our text this morning. It's a type of love that is only used in relation to God's love, by the way. But it is also supposed to be the way we love. And like I said, it's based on decision, not feeling. Uh, purely an act of the will, because to exercise agape is to act in ways contrary to our nature. Not God's nature. Remember, he is love and he can't act contrary to who he is. 
But God, love is contrary to our nature. Our nature is sinful at the core. Our love is enmity, strife, being malicious, greedy, selfish, to murder. But not God's. Like I said, agape is not void of emotion. It just isn't based on it. In fact, the word agape literally means to show affection and to take pleasure in. Isn't that astounding that the God of the universe in Christ takes pleasure in you? Is affectionate toward you so much so that he went to the cross for you? Makes sense, really, because we are his offspring, after all. But why do we have such a hard time believing it and, and experiencing it? Because we look at it through human glasses and through our human experience. But agape is so not human. It is superhuman. It is supernatural. John Maxwell says that there are two misconceptions about love. First, that love is only a feeling. And secondly, that love is uncontrollable. You see, agape is choosing to act based on a decision and only in and with the ability and the, and the power of his abiding presence in our lives. We cannot exercise agape on our own. And this is how we're able to forgive, to show mercy, compassion, to sacrifice, to apologize, even when we don't feel like it or feel like we can't do it or even don't want to do it. So Maxwell goes on to say, we need to first of all ask what love is. We're trying to do that. And secondly, to act like love acts. Ask what love is and act like love acts. First John 3 verse 18 says, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. You can say all you want, I love you, but it means nothing unless you follow it up with what you do. I, I counseled a young couple one time years ago, preparing them for marriage. And the young man said to me, he says, Eldon, all this talk about love, what, you're, what I just did here right now, he said, it just means nothing to me. Because my dad would beat my wife, my, my mom, his wife. He would beat her. And then he would tell her that he loved her. It didn't line up. And so when it came to let us love with words, not with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth, it, it, it spoke to him, spoke to me. Colossians 3 verse 14, and over all these virtues that Paul talks about there, he said, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. God does not ask us to put something on that we can't c control, nor would he ask us to put something on that we can only feel. We choose to love, period. And certain feelings may come later, but we, we cannot let our feelings determine our actions. We have to choose love. That's agape. And, and we need this because it is not inherent to our nature to love. As I said, our nature is sinful, so we have to work at it by the power of his spirit. Scripture literally says in one place, Paul wrote it, I think in Ephesians, Bear with one another in love. Doesn't sound very nice, does it? Like I gotta bear with you. 
But that's literally what it means. Because there are some people that are just hard to get along with. You know, all of you. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm the one who's hard to get along with. Man, my family has had to bear with me over the years. And my churches. Hopefully I'm growing in it. I've learned a thing or two. But I'm not there. None of us are. And so we have to come to Jesus, who was all about action, and he showed us what it looks like to love. So secondly, let's look at the love of Jesus. As the Father has loved me, said Jesus, so I loved you. So he loves us our, uh, as his disciples now. He loved his original 12, and now he's loving us. As the Father loved me, so I love you. So we need to look at the love of Jesus because then we know what the love of the Father really looks like. And now I'm going to give you 11 very, very broad and very, very quick ways that Jesus loved his disciples and he loves us. We're going to skim really fast here, okay? If you want my notes later, I can email them to you, um, which will expand them maybe a little bit, but this is the way Jesus loves. Number one, he gave the Father gave and Jesus gave. For God so loved the world that he gave his Son. He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how he, will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Philippians 2 literally says that Jesus, in humility, laid aside his rights. The word is uh, an emptying, kenosis, it means he literally emptied himself of everything to give to us. Galatians 1, 3 through 5, Paul wrote, Grace to you and peace from, our, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Second way Jesus gave by choosing. I'm using action-oriented words here. Giving, then choosing. Our text speaks about it. We didn't choose him. We didn't love him first. But he chose us. He loved us first. In uh, Ephesians 1, Paul wonderfully expands on that and how God through Christ has chosen us, elected us, uh, adopted us, called us, appointed us, predestined us. Love all those words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. In love he predestined us for adoption. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the first, might be to the praise of his glory. Awesome. Third, knowing. I, I just love it how after Jesus chose his disciples... He told them, Nathaniel in particular, if you go back to John 1, and he told them everything, like, everything about Nathaniel he knew, and Nathaniel says, how do you know me? How do you know me? And you, you still picked me? 
See, sometimes we're picked and we withhold knowledge because we want to put our best foot forward. <laughs> oh, if they only knew everything about me, they'd never choose me. But not Jesus. He chooses you as he knows you. It's, it's astounding. Um, Charles Spurgeon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, I love this quote, he said, half the disputes between Christian people arise from their not knowing one another. They just don't know each other. And, and we could resolve, I bet you, 95% of the disputes that we have with one another just by sitting down and getting to know the other person. Just talk to them. I, get, I better move on. These are all sermons within themselves. Like, number four, befriending. This is mind-blowing how Jesus talks in here that, you know, you really are slaves. I'm your master. I'm, the word is Lord. I'm your creator. But now I've called you my friend. And, and, and you see, a slave doesn't know his master's business. It's none of his business. But everything that the Father has told me, I've made known to you. Isn't that amazing? Open book. He befriended us. Number five, he showed compassion to us. Jesus wept with people, Lazarus, Mary, Martha, in their distress. First John 2, 1 through 2, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the entire world. He's our advocate. He shows compassion on us. Uh, the way some Christians treat each other and talk about each other is frankly quite deplorable, and I've been there myself. What we have to understand is that we are all sinners. And we have only one advocate. And so we need to advocate for each other. We need to advocate for each other. That's showing compassion. Number six, this is part of love. Jesus corrected, he rebuked, he disciplined, he confronted. He did it a lot with Peter. I think my middle name should have been Peter for some reason. I, I take comfort in the fact that God says in Hebrews that he disciplines those that he loves. So God must love me a lot. Ephesians 4 says, speak the truth to one another in love. You see, we do need to correct with one another, but we need to do it in love. Number seven, serving. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. It's a key indicator of that you love someone is just being willing to serve them. Number eight, sacrificing. And I link that together with God's kindness, forgiveness, and his grace. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I want to read 1 John 3, verses 16 to 18. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. But if anyone has the world's goods and yet sees his brother or sister in need, 
yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Scripture I really love. This is another one you can mark down and put it on your fridge. Is Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. This is awesome. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That ought to get you excited. God showed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Number eight. Restoring, reconciling, coming back again to what Christine said. I, I just love that. After Peter blew it, the Lord went to him to make things right. And he said, Peter, to him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? A, a restored relationship means that you go to the offending party and you establish it again on love. And from there you do ministry. And how often do we shoot our wounded? <laughs> or, or we lay traps for them, which is even worse. We hope to catch them so then we can shoot them. It's terrible. It's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is when we're trapped by the devil or by our own sinful desires. He frees us. <laughs> and then he loves us and he reconciles us. And so we ought to with one another. But God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we, we now have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the ministry of reconciliation. Number 10, sending. You know, Jesus believes in us so much that after he restores us, he sends us out there to do his work and with his authority. Isn't that love? Number 11, he, he does, I call this indwelling, to be filled up. Uh, Jesus does not leave us orphaned. He doesn't abandon us. That's love. When you call someone and put your seal on them and send them in your authority, you don't abandon them. You stay with them. All of these ways that Jesus loves us, I think can be summed up best for me and embodied really in the parable of the prodigal son. Which is more homework for you. You can read it on your own. But we have to finish this. Let's talk about the love of Jesus' disciples. So really what I just gave you, the way Jesus loved us, is the way we ought to love one another. So I could just simply go back and repeat them all, but that would just be repeating myself. 
We can't do it alone. That's why Jesus said abide. You see, to love is a two-way street, always, in relationship. We need to, Jesus said, abide in my love. As I, as the Father have loved me and I abide in his love, so I love you and I abide in his love. And then Jesus said, abide in me and then love one another. It's pretty simple. It's an organizational flow chart for the church. <laughs> I love it. it. has nothing to do with offices and structures. It has everything to do with relationship. That is the church. As we conclude, I just simply want to read for you one more passage. And this gives us a good shot, a good glimpse of what love really looks like. 1 Corinthians 13. Most of us know it. If you don't, follow along as I read. Paul wrote, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, you see, you can give, 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 like we're asking you to do for this, this campaign, this, this vision that we're on. If I, if I give it all away and I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. There it is again. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. So thinking back to my childish behavior in San Diego. It was a wonderful holiday, by the way. <laughs> towards a member of my family. Coming into this week feeling very unworthy to preach about the love of God. I agree again with the great preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who said, I have a great need for Christ, and I have a great Christ for my need. These things have I spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full.
Today, I have a lighter step. God wants us to live with joy, to, to delight, to be glad, to experience great happiness. And he doesn't want us to experience just a little bit of it. He wants us to experience full joy. And that word full, that verb, is an aorist, passive, subjunctive, <laughs> which means that the subject is being acted upon. This full joy is produced in us, not on our own, but by Jesus, our great Christ, for our great need. As we abide and obediently and actively love him and other people. Let's pray. Father, why should I gain from your reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart, that you have paid my ransom. You are love, and I thank you for it. I thank you for all of the ways that you love me, that you love us. And all I can say, God, is thank you and help. Help me, help us to live what we've heard. And all God's people said, amen.